Welcome back, guys, to another episode of the Jack of All Trades podcast. This is the first episode of season number two, and it's going to be featuring Dr. Christina Navarro, who was recently appointed as the AD at the University of Wisconsin Platteville. In addition to being recently appointed as the AD, she is also running for the second vice president of N4A, which elections are going to close on June 22nd. So on today's show, we are going to be discussing why she believes she would fit what N4A needs during this time, the importance that she places on being a scholar practitioner, and how she can use her diverse background within the athletic space to provide more diverse opportunities to our membership in order to foster a more inclusive environment. So without further ado, let's welcome Dr. Christina Navarro to the Jack of All Trades. Sure, sure. Well, thanks for the opportunity, Jack. I appreciate you doing this. And uh, I think it's awesome to hear from uh, several of the candidates just to have a little bit deeper dive into why we have interest in the, the role. And, you know, there's there's four really, say three, three really great candidates and then one Yahoo from uh, UW Platteville that's applying to, for this position. But um, no, I, all of all of the people on the ballot are, are fantastic colleagues. And um, I think we all share in the same vein that we want this to be a really positive experience to move us forward during a time of uncertainty. Um, I think the lens that I bring to this as a, a former student athlete at the Division Three and Division One level. So uh, I started out from Madison, Wisconsin. Originally, I walked on to the rowing team at UW Madison. Uh, you know, candidly, I volleyball, track and field, and basketball were my sports that I grew up playing, uh, and I wanted to pursue a career um, as being both a student and athlete at the Division One level. And for me, that made sense to walk on and try a sport I had never done before. Um, but it was a great challenge. And so for me, the, the challenge of being a student and an athlete started as uh, a transfer student athlete. So I started at UW-Madison, transferred to a Division three school, uh, UW-Lacrosse. And for myself, I've moved around a bit. So with my education, I started as an undergrad at UW-Lacrosse in exercise science, sport management, and business uh, with a concentration in strength and conditioning. And then moved on to an internship, uh, working in academic support services, and right when life skills programming was kind of coming online uh, at UW-Madison, helped to create their life skills program uh, with my colleague Kelly Richards, and then moved forward to really wanting to commit my career to intercollegiate athletic leadership uh, to apply to graduate school. I spent two years at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and uh, worked with Dr. Cricket Lane, who was the leader of their leadership academy and student-athlete development area. Um, was a great experience for me to learn more about the student-athlete development side since I kind of came up more through the academic uh, piece of the puzzle. And then really was interested in the full circle of holistic education and teaching and how being a scholar practitioner, I'll use that word, and also educator goes hand-in-hand with the idea of coaching and leadership. Uh, so pursued my PhD at UW-Madison in Madison, Wisconsin, and did that over three years, working full-time in the athletic department, taking classes in the evening and their 
PhD program. And really there was a launch pad to understand being in the roles of learning specialist, mentor, um, academic advisor. I worked with the football team for uh, several years as their academic advisor. Um, And then moved into more of what was the life skills role and now student-athlete development specialist role. Um, So kind of a full gamut of things. And then from there, once I graduated with my PhD, applied for assistant athletic director positions and assistant professor positions and uh, had the opportunity to work at the University of Oklahoma to create a master's program um, that worked hand-in-hand with the athletic department. So that's kind of when this whole idea of being data-driven and a scholar practitioner and seeing how programs run to support students, both on the um, academic side, the faculty side, as well as the student development side internal to an athletics department. Um, So then where I would say my career with N4A really took off was once I joined the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater. Spent six years there, um, got very involved in various committees with student-athlete development, the rebrand of our organization, um, bringing academics and student-athlete development uh, together, full circle. And uh, it's really helped me to shape my approach as I moved on to Rutgers and now as an AD at UW-Platteville with how we approach this from a student-centric mentality uh, with, with everything that's going on in the world, how we keep the student both academically and developmentally at the center of decision-making. Yeah, I I love that. I mean, one of the things that's really unique about your um, route and and your upbringing within our industry is the fact that you do have various lenses based off of the previous institutions and the current institution that you've worked with and for. Um, So, you know, being in several leadership positions, first starting off at the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater and now being the athletics director at the University of Wisconsin-Platteville, how do you believe that your leadership style aligns with both the mission and the vision of N4A as a association? Yeah, I think think that's a, a great question. And as we've moved forward from a restructure standpoint, it's been crucial for me to really understand and look at what the mission of N4A is. And so if you look at it, it's the official community of practitioners dedicated to the academic and personal development of student athletes. Um, And so I I think about that, the the words that are associated in the mission, advocacy, education, professional development, advancement of members, uh, integrity, institutional and global level engagement. So those are all um, pieces that we spent a lot of time as a committee really choosing those words and pouring over, you know, why are we using each and every one of these words in what we would say is our national and international mission. And so for me, I look at that, if I take it piece by piece, academic and personal development of student athletes, that's really been the crux of my existence in the sense of being a student athlete, working in the academic space, and then really developing programming at four different institutions in the personal development space. And uh, at the top end now as an athletic director, bringing that full circle to have a focus on both aspects of this uh, and really playing on the idea that we're students first, uh, we're we're athletes in addition, not second, but in addition to. 
And then if we look at the whole advocacy and education piece, I think it's huge that we're advocating for the wellness of student-athletes. Um, during these times when things are uncertain, the one thing you can control in some capacity is how you approach each day from a mental health standpoint, um, how you approach each day from a training standpoint, both physical, physically, physi- uh, physiologically, psychologically. Um, there's just so many elements to it. I think that the professional development side, one of the pieces that I've really um, hung my hat on is being very invested in the development of young professionals with the Professional Development Institute, uh, PDI. I've been engaged in that to really create opportunities for more of our younger folks across the division to get involved with that. Uh, one of the pieces that internally with, with my staff we talk about is the co- kind of the coaching tree and where your students that you've worked with in the past, whether they're graduate students you've taught or they're student athletes that you've mentored, you know, where are they now? And I, that's what makes me most excited about this position is that most of those folks are now in our profession. Um, so it's, it's kind of neat to see. And then the advancement of members, it, it's huge. I think I would say the PDI Institute is something that has been around for several years and it's a point of pride for many people uh, that go through a certain class and it becomes a camaraderie point, but also a kind of a a cohort model that you have a network of people nationally to rely on as you move through your profession. Exactly. And, you know, one of the things that was really interesting to hear is you've only been in your current role for a a little over two weeks. And today you were just sitting on a panel on wellness. And, you know, that, that really is an example of you getting right into work and the type of work that you would be able to bring um, to N4A. So, you know, based off of developing young professionals and developing student athletes into their full capacity, um, what other types of principles besides those two and, you know, being a scholar practitioner and crowding yourself in your data-driven approach uh, do you base your leadership style off of? Yeah. So from a leadership perspective, I, I love the topic of leadership. I teach on leadership. I It's one of my favorite topics because there's so many different ways you can approach it. And I'll use the word transformational leadership. So it's, it's theory-based. It, it can be thrown out in a bit of a cliche at times. Uh, but it's really, it's founded in sound principles and how you're transforming culture, how you're transforming young people, how you're transforming lives, um, and how you're doing that intentionally. It's not just happening by, by happenstance. You're intentionally focusing on moving people forward. And that's been my strategy for anybody that I work with or oversee, or I consider it a team. And the idea is trying to elevate the team collectively. So when um, someone like on my staff, Michael Salm, lands an excellent position. I'm extremely excited about that. When uh, Dr. Carissa Conroy gets involved with a new committee in N4A where she's come from a compliance and development space, and now she's able to, to really endeavor into a new path of her career, that's exciting to me. Um, Rutgers, Jackie Kelly, she's been at several places, NCAA specifically. I learn a lot from her. And so transformational leadership, I think of it as a – I'm learning from staff, I'm learning from people that are younger in the profession or less experienced, and I'm learning from people that I look up to, like Kim Durand, like Joe Lucky, like 
um, Kenneth Miles, like a Wes Moss, like Ashton Henderson, then uh, Denise Poole, several different names, and I don't even want to attempt to name everybody because I'll forget someone. But it's it's just uh, it's very cool from my perspective. Transformational leadership is kind of the cyclical process where you're learning from people in the profession, people that you've taught that also are teaching you, and it makes you a best a better professional and person at the end of the day. I love that. It's really unique. I mean, based off of our relationship, it's definitely something that I've been able to see is, you know, it really is a, a, a total exchange of ideas, which is awesome. Um, and, you know, one of the things you didn't mention within your involvement within, within N4A is uh, serving on the N4A's um, task force that really focused in on building their strategic plan um, that was released this past year. It's probably been in the works for a lot longer than that, I would assume. But uh, why did you personally want to get involved with developing the strategic plan, and how would you assist the rest of the N4A um, executive committee if you were elected accomplish the seven priorities that make up the plan. Sure, sure. Well, so I'll take the first part of that. Why did I, I want to get uh, involved with it? I would say uh, I was somewhat asked or invited to participate in it because of, I would say, the scholar-practitioner lens and the data-driven approach that I've kind of taken to my career in programming um, and kind of serving in both capacities in the academic space and student-athlete development space. So. You know, as we crafted that plan, and I would say, man, three years um, working intentionally with several different folks, um, and it was exciting for me to see the emergence of those seven areas. Um, you know, specifically as we look at different aspects of that, it's how do we engage the membership, and how do we make uh, the membership feel um, that they're receiving benefit. You know, what is the added value of being an N4A member? And that was a huge driver for me is when I kind of saw coming up in my profession perhaps a bit of division between the academic and student-athlete development space. And, you know, maybe not even intentionally, but just maybe due to a um, different mindsets or different um, training of student affairs professionals versus academic affairs professionals. Uh, even if, if I look on campus, you have student affairs and academic affairs, and their training and skill sets are often very different. And when you try to merge and meld those two into a, an organization. There's a lot of differences of opinions and ideals, and um, I knew it could be done. I knew we needed to do it because we all had the common purpose, like we talked about, of serving student-athletes and doing it well. And so, you know, when I look at these seven different aspects, it's really our, our, our map, if you will, on how to take a student-athlete and a professional. So if you think about a student-athlete and how we're going to support them, that's a huge piece of this. But then it's also the professionals that serve student-athletes. Um, and so I think the, the transition point for our organization has been how do we better serve the professionals coming up through this that you know, some of us didn't have that when we were moving forward. It was kind of learn on the fly or figure it out from your network of people, but not necessarily a professional home. So um, I guess broad picture, that's what I've been excited about, why I got involved with it, and how I see it as a roadmap to collective success. So seeing it as a roadmap and, you know, being um, fortunate enough 
in the end, potentially to be elected as the second vice president of N4A, uh, you would be the one that would be assisting with driving the car per se, if we're going to yep. use this roadmap analogy. So sure. um, how, how would you assist the rest of the executive committee within N4A accomplish those priorities that make up the plan? Yeah, yeah. So if we, if we talk about the plan specifically, so the guiding principles of that, uh, ethics and integrity, diversity, equity, and inclusion, professional development and retention, student-athlete success, and service. And you know, with each of those, there's, there's a tagline or kind of a descriptor of what that is. I think all of these you have to take very um, intentionally. And I know the current board does a great job of mobilizing via what I would say is the new structure of committees. Uh, we've tried to really promote voice throughout the association. I know that some of the critique in the past had been, you know, how do people get to leadership positions within N4A? And usually it was those that raised their hand and, and wanted to be involved and then kind of uh, said walk the walk. They, they followed through and they wanted to be involved. And so trying to equalize that a bit and have more opportunity has been a big driver for this. So I'd want to continue with that. Um, you know, the seven priorities, academic excellence, student-athlete success. If you take those two, like the academic piece specifically, it's how do we continue to celebrate success of our institutions uh, from a communication standpoint, help people, AD specifically, understand the value of what we're doing as an association, but then also thinking about how do we make it more tangible. Um, so APR, for example, at the Division One level is a very tangible um, measurement. I think where we need to get with a professional organization is how do we uh, not necessarily quantify, but how do we measure um, from an assessment standpoint the student-athlete development space as well. Um, and that's challenging. And it's, it's a big piece of how do we not stifle uh, what I'll say is like academic freedom or creativity on the campus level that's often driven by budget. Uh, but how do we have some kind of method to the madness? And so I think that that general theme of how do we um, and I know the word assessment can kind of scare people sometimes, but I would say just demonstrate, tell the story of what are we doing, and then helping ADs, athletic directors in the chair that, you know, as I'm learning, are tasked with many different aspects, report to many different entities, um, tell a, a cohesive story of, you know, why this is important and advocate for why this is important from a funding standpoint, from an uh, allocation standpoint, from a staffing standpoint. And I really think all these priorities are driven by an ability for the AD to advocate on behalf of these at the campus level to many different constituencies, uh, whether that's your chancellor, your president, your chief student affairs officer, um, external grant funding. Uh, those are all mechanisms that make up the budget. And so um, I guess that's a long-winded answer, but I see a lot of these priorities are driven by the resources available to you on campus. And what my priority continues to be is how do we creatively move forward with a funding structure and support structure for our student-athletes and our professionals. And I think, you know, one of the key ways that you've personally taught me how to do that is by telling the story. And, you know, the term assessment could be seen as something that people are afraid of. But at the end of the day, society runs on numbers. And I couldn't think of anyone else within the biz that is as great as portraying numbers as you are, as well as, you know, some others such as Dr. Marissa Nichols and Dr. Lisa Rubin. Um, but, uh, you know, part of 
the duties of becoming second vice president of N4A uh, for the association is to oversee four essential areas. And uh, those four areas are membership services, academic and learning services, student-athlete enhancement, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, what is one specific way, mm-hmm. if you were to be elected, um, that you could in help N4A enhance each of these areas, and uh, how would you go about sure. in implementing the enhancement? That's an awesome question. Um, Let's take those one at a time, just so that I don't get ahead of myself. Sometimes my brain thinks faster than my words (laughs) (laughs) come out. So can we take the first one, and and then I'll go through the other three? Yes, sounds great. Yeah, so what is one specific way that we could enhance the membership services provided to those that are a part of N4A, and um, how could we go about in in implementing that enhancement? So when I, when I think membership services, it's, you know, what is the organization providing as, as a value to the people that want to be engaged with this? And I think there's, there's several different tiers to that. You know, if I'm a professional that's been here for 20 plus years, my needs are going to be different than if I'm a, a brand new person right out of graduate school or even undergrad that wants to pursue this profession. And so I think uh, membership services is really driven by uh, aligned with the priority of member engagement and how are people feeling that they're getting value from the organization, especially in a time with resource crunches and why are people choosing to be a part of this organization? And so it's very important to me that we demonstrate value via things like our communication structure. Um, What are we doing from a social media standpoint to demonstrate the value add, but also, you know, what we're doing as an association so that, as I'll say again, the decision makers understand who we are and what we do. Um, I would say just in my tenure of 12 years working in the profession, uh, N4A has come on the map as a major hub of idea sharing and transformational leadership. And that maybe wasn't the case for all ADs to really understand the mission of it uh, before this rebrand. And so membership services, I think, is driven by this concept of engagement. And for me, it's engaging and making people feel valued uh, across every sphere or every piece of their career arc, Um, a big driver of career construction. And that's a big theory that I look at. But if you think about early in your career, your needs might be creating your network and understanding how the membership is doing that, um, whether that's via PDI, whether that's via engagement in all the different committees that are available. Uh, I think another piece of that is is really demonstrating that anyone can be a leader of N4A. You know, if you if you want to be N4A president someday, there's a clear path now of how you get there. Get there, which maybe didn't exist um, even a few years ago. So. That's my response, I would say, to the first one. Engagement really driving service. I love it. And then what about in regards to academic and learning services? I mean, we're in this profession for the athletes themselves. Um, So overseeing this area, uh, what's one way that you think that we could enhance the academic and learning services side of N4A? One piece that's always been really interesting to me in having – worked as a learning specialist for a bit, you know, I'll say learning services is much more comprehensive than, than the role of just um, a learning specialist. But 
learning enhancement as a whole, I think, has really become its own entity within N4A, and it's, it's evidenced by the fact that we have specific groups dedicated to supporting individuals um, that really are working in not only a mentorship as aspect, but um, a psychosocial, I'll use that word, psychosocial developmental, behavioral developmental um, capacity with student-athletes. And, you know, I think there's different tools that those individuals need. I'm really excited to see our organization take that to the next level to try to support the area of learning enhancement. Uh, with the academic services side, I think it's extremely important, as I mentioned, you know, we have measurement factors right now that can be scary to some folks but can be positive for others because it, it demonstrates value and tells the story. Um, obviously, across divisions, that's different. I think at the Division One level, we, we kind of hang our hat sometimes on APR. Division Two and Three, that's that's not how we're we're always doing things. And so I think I bring some good perspective on how we can tell the story from many different ways on what value we're providing in the academic services space. I mean, and I'll say too that the piece with N4A coming in and doing. Um, outside kind of reviews, I think we can continue to work towards uh, that with the student-athlete development space and kind of model that academic services, um, and I won't, say, I won't say audit because that sounds very scary, right? But you come in and you just say, you know, what are we doing well? Where can we grow? And, uh, you know, I think it's a good measurement for us to move forward with. Couldn't agree more. It definitely is, you know, one of those areas based off of your experience that would be a boon for our association. Um, and then the next area would be student-athlete enhancement, which is the main way that you and I became connected as you being a faculty member of the inaugural PBI track for student-athlete development and me being a participant. Sure, sure. So I think with the student-athlete enhancement piece, and that kind of goes to the, the if I think of a two-prong approach, it's how do you invest in the professionals that serve student-athletes, and then how do you invest in the student-athletes programming as a whole? Um, so I look at this one as more of investing in the student-athletes space and the programming. Um, and, you know, I think the big piece that has come online now, and even more so with this pandemic situation, is mental health and wellness. And I know you know, every every person that's running has to have that on their radar because it is such a huge aspect that influences the, the daily lives of our student-athletes and employees. Um, and so from an enhancement standpoint, I've been really excited at places like Rutgers to bring a position titled um, Student-Athlete Wellness, Outreach, and Inclusion. And that, that'll kind of get into the inclusion piece as well. But how do we kind of have a baseline understanding of where we all come from, and I'll say as humans, and then looking at us as students and athletes? And if we can kind of look at the idea of transformational leadership being the root of what we do as professionals, whether we're helping with, um, from a learning specialist perspective, whether we're helping from a mentorship perspective, an academic services um, advisor role, or a learning um, student-athlete development uh, professional and within that space you know we're all called different things <laughs> and that's, that's probably the most confusing piece across the profession as I try to to coin at many institutions now strategic partnerships because it's the from my perspective a very encompassing word of all the entities that we must engage the community uh, you know globally if we're striving to be a global leader in student development and academic services um, 
So it's a long, again, a long way of saying, I think the crux of this one is really providing programmatic opportunities that are in line with the current needs of Generation Z student athletes. And that's not going to stay the same every year. It's going to be dynamic. So our, our association has to be dynamic and nimble as well. Yeah, it's going to be constantly changing just like our society is right now with the pandemic. So it's definitely one of those things that, uh, you know, one of those needs I feel like, especially now with um, the racial um, circumstances that have happened in society is diversity, equity, and inclusion. So uh, what is, you know, one way that we could enhance this area for our membership so that we can maybe have better types of conversations with our student athletes as they are going to be the next leaders of society as members of Gen Z. Definitely. And then the the fourth piece, right, was uh, diversity inclusion? Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so diversity, equity, and, and inclusion. How do you go about improving that? Yeah, so I, I think with this, it's it's a huge step for us to just explicitly talk about this in our mission and vision statements. Um, you know, one of the big pieces here annually is we want to really enhance or increase awareness of opportunities for leadership. And a big piece of that, I'll credit Wes Moss as well, has been from a communication standpoint and helping us push out what are the opportunities so that everybody understands how they can aspire to and also run for committee-level positions that can then move into um, overseeing those four different areas and then could ascend to a a VP2 role and move into the president's chair someday. Um, So, you know, with that, we've already worked to have biannual calls for for work groups. We've worked to have webinars come online, and I think the more we can do things that – serve our entire membership, um, you know, as an opt-in type mentality, uh, but just to provide opportunities. I think about diversity, equity, inclusion, providing opportunities, inviting people to the opportunities, but then not just stopping there, you know, fostering the the welcomeness and the ability for people to want to come to the dance and actually dance, (laughs) you know, we think about that, and so... Uh, we can't just be all smoke and mirrors. We got all these great programs and opportunities, but nobody comes to them. You know, we, we need to tell the story of what we are doing. And it, it's just like networking. You know, if you have a great experience it's, or recruiting, if you have a great experience, you're going to tell your buddy that, hey, I had a great experience at University X and I want to go there as an alumni. I had an awesome experience as a student athlete here. Um, that's the bread and butter from an athletic standpoint of recruiting and feeling a part of a family. And so from diversity, equity, and inclusion, it's, it's feeling a part of the family. And we talk about the N4A family all the time. Um, but that would be my, my major pitch, I would say, is to not only have opportunities, but make, make people feel a part of the family as a whole. I love that. Yeah, because it definitely is something that, you know, is needed. And um, once again, with your background, I feel like it would be, much more achievable. Um, The next question, um, this is the second to last one, is in what ways do you believe that your background in educational leadership um, and your data-driven approach can assist our association elevate to new heights? 
I think the word, so the word data driven, and I know I, I put that out there a lot of times, and I don't mean it to be a buzzword. Because I think about it as a philosophy, um, you know, as, a, as an athletic director, as a director, even as an intern, as you, if you can make decisions based on methods. I think that's a better word for it, method to the madness. I always say, what's the method to the madness on this one? Or help me understand the method to the madness on this one. It shows that you're making decisions based on um, information. And that would be my goal moving forward, is making decisions based on information of the membership. And I think that feeds into all the priority areas, diversity, inclusion, equity, um, member services academic support services, student-athlete enhancement or development. There's a consistent need across all of these different areas, and if you can help to understand the why behind these different areas, that will um, fuel kind of moving forward decision-making. So that, that's where I always try to understand coming from different folks or different scenarios, what is the why, what is the background of this, and then how do we make sound decisions based on that. So that's what I would bring to the chair is to really have a critical approach and perhaps overthink things at times, but I think I think sometimes that, that is positive. I think I can really balance out uh, folks that are currently in the leadership roles to take a deeper dive and just think critically, uh, not that people don't think critically already, but maybe in a different lens and from a more holistic higher education perspective on what might a chancellor might be thinking or what might a president be thinking and how do we speak their language. Right. And how do we, you know, build more of that N4A family and not only the N4A family, but the NACTA family as a whole. And the way to do that is through um, the data-driven philosophy, I would say, that uh, you can bring to the table. And uh, the last question is, if you were elected as second vice president of N4A, what would be the legacy that you would want to leave within N4A? It's hard to encapsulate in, in a brief way, so I'm going to try my best. But the legacy that I would really like to leave is really focused on this word of transformation, inclusion, and diversity. I think those are the three best ways to talk about it in the sense of how we would bring diverse aspects that maybe at one time were very differentiated within a department, academic support services and student athlete development, and bring them into a really shared understanding of how we support the student athlete. And that everybody really can believe in that and tell the story, whether I'm an academic advisor or whether I'm a student athlete wellness professional, or we all have a constant or consistent message for how we collectively approach student athletes development. I think that would be a, a strong legacy if I felt like the entire organization from interns to assistant director to uh, AD in some circumstances had a very specific understanding of how we tell the story of the student athlete experience. I think we can do that by moving forward with these seven priorities. I love it. And any other closing remarks Dr. Navarro, that you would like to uh, bring into discussion? Yeah, I, I just, I'm grateful for this opportunity. I think it's, it's, it's difficult and also 
exciting to move forward when you're you're running for a position against people you highly respect. And so, uh, you know, I, I don't think N4A can go wrong on this one. And I'll be I'll be thrilled if I get the role, and I'll be thrilled if if I don't get the role. And so, uh, you know, it doesn't mean I don't want the role, but at the same time, I I just feel like we're in such a, a great space where we have really developed leadership across the board. Uh, I get so excited to talk to people like yourself, Jack, and folks that have come up through PDI or even when I get the email from individuals where I'm interested in student-athlete development, I'm interested in being an academic advisor, where do I start? What do I do? It, the fact that people are prompting those questions and know our profession exists is, is really exciting to me. And uh, I guess I would say that we just continue to build on that narrative and continue to provide value to athletics departments for what we all do. And that's what makes me most excited about the world. Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of the Jack of All Trades podcast. Make sure to tune in to future upcoming episodes leading up to the election on June 22nd for a second vice president of N4A to hear about why the other candidates running for this prestigious position believe they deserve to be elected. And remember to continue to live a life full of virtue.